won't you pull me another? I'm going in, so wish me good luck Yeah, gotta put on my favorite song, I need a boost Let's turn up the love Hey, hey guys, another day, another podcast And I am so excited to get this started because we have a first here today And the first is my very first podcast guest. And I'm so excited to get started. Um, So with no more further ado, I'm going to let her introduce herself. Hello. So good to be here, Melissa. Thank you for having me here. And hello to all of the listeners out there. So my name is Diane Sorensen, and I am a parent empowerment coach. Um, I have a passion for helping parents feel confident and in control of their life, their parenting, um, and just understanding children's behavior at a deeper level. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm a former teacher. Um, who implemented a conscious approach into my classroom and it was noticed and felt. And then I went on to teach this approach to other staff and teachers before taking on coaching parents full-time. Which is awesome. And I have seen that process, actually. It's kind of neat to watch other women grow. And me and Diana are part of, um, we're part of the same community. And that's actually how I got to know you, Diane. And it's just been, it's been super cool to watch you grow and connect with you. Because um, I think whenever you're part of a mastermind or coaching group, there's always like this level of, there's always like this baseline standard and the people who enter in there were all like terrified, but then it comes back to like really creating that connection with the other ladies and really seeing like what we have similarities. Maybe it's in our fears, maybe it's in our dreams, (laughs) but I feel like you and me really hit it off because you and me are both terrified of technology. And we, I don't know, we both work in confidence. So it was so fun because you've also kind of helped me along the way. Um, And we've been accountability partners throughout some things too. So it's been really, really fun. So, okay. So I wanted to basically kick it off um, just asking you like where you, um, when you realized you wanted to step outside of your comfort zone and start this new business venture of yours because you were in like a traditional system, right? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Um, so I was in the field of early childhood, um, profession for 30 years and, um, working for an early childhood program for 25. Uh, and, yeah, so I was a little embedded in the traditional <laughs> traditional route. Um, and I didn't have this, I think I'm going to step out of my comfort zone thing. I really did not want to step out of my comfort zone. Um, you know, I 
really didn't see myself ever really as a leader or doing anything different than anybody else. Cause it was like, I just want to fit in. I don't want to be, be different. You know, my whole life's goal was to be uh, the same as other people. You know, I always kind of felt different, but I always wanted to be the same. But what happened was uh, conscious discipline came into my life, which is a relationship-based practice. And I just knew that that was something I wanted more of. And so I, I became trained in it. I just loved it and implemented into my professional life as well as my personal life. And I, you know, it was a choice, but it was almost like I was being so soul driven that it wasn't a choice, you know, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Was it kind of like, you could tell me if I'm wrong because I'm often wrong, but, um, was it kind of like the shoes just didn't fit anymore? It was like, you were ready for something else. And it was like, you kind of hit the upper limit as far as where you were. So what used to make you happy didn't make you happy. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so I think also too, so I can't come to this through my own struggles, my own parenting struggle, um, as well as struggling with behaviors in the classroom. And I just knew there must be a different way of doing this or something was missing. And so when I started implementing this, I just knew that this was the missing piece. And so I just, I just did it. Um, I wanted everybody to do it, but you know, of course everybody didn't want to do it. So I just decided I was the only teacher in our district, in our uh, program that was doing this. And I just kept going. And there were times because it was not traditional Um, it was hot, it was uncomfortable. And, you know, I've had, I would have these moments of maybe this isn't the right way, maybe the, you know, but I kept going. And um, so before you go any further on that, like when you say it wasn't traditional, like, can you give the listeners like a little insight to, you know, maybe like a normal situation, like a normal response, and then how like you approached something different. Yeah. So, you know, in our traditional way of discipline um, or being in relationship with children, the the adult has all the power, right? And children don't really have any. Um, And the expectation is that we, the adult, are to make them behave. And um, so maybe, you know, um, let's see, give me a, give me a, uh, scenario in a scenario. Um, okay. Let's see. Oh, picking up toys. Let's do that. Okay. One. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that can be a real trigger for both parent and child. Yes. So that is a good one. Pick up time. Yes. So pick up time, um, oftentimes is, uh, power struggles, right? The adult is like trying to gain control and the child is resisting because it feels terrible to be controlled. And, and they're being asked to stop something enjoyable, to do something not so enjoyable. And it's just this energy of, right? It's kind of like as an adult, I still experience that. If I have to stop yeah. something that I like to do something I don't like, I act out as an adult still. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. 
Yeah. So, you know, so then there's these power struggles. So in a relationship-based approach, we approach what both are feeling on the inside. It's not about control. It's about working together in how can we, you know, do this together to, to create, um, what it is we need. Does that make sense? So yeah. it might be, um, you know, I know it's, you know, you seem frustrated because you really wanted to continue to play and it can be uncomfortable. It can be difficult to stop what you're doing and, and pick up. I get it. So you can pick up the small blocks or the big blocks, which are, which is going to work for you, small or big smaller big and you know in so it's kind of working with them um, instead of against each other so it's give it's acknowledging and giving understanding to the child's wishes and wants and also leaving that feeling of uh, with them it's their responsibility um, they don't get out of it just because we're acknowledging it yeah, and we're still moving forward in, in figuring out how we can create um, this pickup time, get what we need done in a way that, you know, is helpful and not hurtful. Yeah, Does that, make sense? that makes a lot of sense because as a mom myself, I think most of my listeners know I have um, children, young children. So this was like near and dear to my heart because so often like when I'm overwhelmed and I'm trying to come to the situation because we need to pick up because I want to get it over with and I'm just pushing, 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 I'm not actually taking the time to really get like that communication across to my kids mm -hmm. and meet them in the middle. I think mm -hmm. it's so often like an all or nothing mindset with everything in our lives. So why not picking right. up toys? It, it, it comes down to like, if you were to remove yourself from the emotion of the situation, you're like, okay, if I'm a leader and the definition of a good leader is to get these little humans to follow me, what am I going to have to do to get them to at least start, start pulling their weight? Because we can't expect them to pick up every toy if they're not willing to pick up one. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, right. um, so meeting, that behavior too, yeah. that behavior too kind of, um, communicates to you just what you were saying that, oh, maybe I'm not communicating this, um, well, or, oh, my stress is now, um, coming out in, you know, me trying to control them. And, you know, so, so it, it really is about communicating, um, and looking at um, our response to the behavior rather than controlling the behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when it comes down to it, and I don't know if this is true in your work, Diane, um, what are your guys's like, I mean, do you guys talk about like, what was the end goal? Was the end goal for you to feel like in control as a parent or was the end goal to get all the blocks picked up? Right. Yeah. Yeah. The end goal. Yeah. It's always the feeling, right? Yeah. It's a feeling. And that is really the missing piece with our traditional discipline. The missing piece is that emotional awareness piece. And that behavior is driven from the inside. 
behavior is driven through emotion. And so if we don't address the emotion, if we don't understand the emotion, then we are um, really missing a key piece in how to help children um, regulate their own behavior. Um, traditionally, we, we are the ones controlling the behavior. And so they grow up with, you know, no self-regulation or no self-discipline. Yeah, because they're always waiting for someone else to tell them what to do and tell them how they should feel around situations. It's like that, like constant being a people pleaser. And then finally, when someone asks you, well, what do you want to do? Most even, I mean, I photograph high school seniors. Some of them kind of know what they want to do. And it's partially the age, but really like when you get down to asking them what they're going to do, going to high, going into college, they'll pick something and they'll say, I want to, I'm going to go into nursing. And then you ask them like what they really like to do. And it has nothing to do with any of the caretaking, any of, you know, and so like that passion, you know, um, right. isn't connected. Like, yeah. Right. It's like, what should I do? I do? Yeah. Right. What, what should I be like? You know, yeah. We kind of abandon our true self for who we think we should be in mm -hmm. order for acceptance. Yeah. Because nurse nursing is pretty safe and I can make money. I can make a living at that. And which is true. There's nothing wrong with that, but long-term sustainability, like I think your parents would say, I want you to be happy. And if they don't say that, it's because their fear of your happiness to be an artist, maybe in my case, mm -hmm. um, you know, scares them because they've been told their whole life, it's the starving artist. It's not the thriving artist. So that's so interesting. So, okay. So we kind of got into the meat and potatoes of what you do and how you help people, which is so cool because, you know, I come from a very traditional household. Um, I have expectations of my children as well. Um, I have boundaries. I have, you know, goals, all the things that everyone else probably has. But since I started implementing a little bit of a different leadership, I have actually seen my children take ownership over who they want to be and what type of leader they want to be too. Um, it never fails that, you know, like even the other day we were outside in the pool. Well, not the pool, the hose, I should say. We live in Montana. We don't have a pool. Um, <laughs> I was just dreaming apparently. Um, one of my sons actually went and got the towel and dried off the baby all by himself. He's mm -hmm. four. Mm -hmm. And he, I was like, okay, guys, it's time to come in. And they just automatically started doing the stuff without me asking. Now, does that happen every time? No, but I guarantee you whenever I'm freaking out over them, not doing something, it continues to be a cycle of struggle. Mm -hmm. But when I finally just be vulnerable enough to actually be a human being in front of them and say, gosh, guys, I'm pretty frustrated because we have to get picked up in order to do this other thing. How are we going to attack this together and start just well, asking them? Too, it helps. Yeah. Too. One of the, what we focus on, we get more of. So, you know, when we are upset, we're always focused on what we don't want. Mm -hmm. And so that's where all our energy is going to what we don't want. Um, and we get more of that. So when we can focus on what is it I do want and focus yeah. on that then then we can create more of that but so much of it is how we see conflict and upset um, and 
most of us were raised where conflict and upset wasn't accepted. Um, you know, it was seen more as disrespect. Um, and so we have really traditionally been conditioned to disconnect from that deep part of us, which is our emotions. Uh, and, um, and so when I implemented this relationship-based practice into my classroom, it wasn't that we didn't have conflict. It wasn't that we didn't have upset, children upset in the classroom. It was how we responded to that. And we responded to it very compassionately. And we saw the acting out behavior as a sign that there's a need. This person needs some help. And what happened was the children started seeing it that way too. And they saw acting out behavior as, oh, they need some help mm. rather than, and in what it, what ended was there were no bad kids and good kids in my class anymore. And in by three years old, the children know who the bad kids are yeah. because of our response to them, you mm -hmm. know, because we're always like, oh, no, don't do that and stop that and da, da, da. And so that's how the children react too. They, they come to view conflict and upset the same way we do. So when we as the adults in that room shifted how we saw that, the children did too. And it was amazing how compassionate that classroom became. And the story I love to tell is that I would have outside people coming in, whether it was parents or people from the administration um, and eventually other teachers, um, and they, what they said was, I can feel the difference in this classroom. So it was, a, they could feel it. They could feel the um, kind of the lack of stress and they could feel the feeling of compassion in that classroom. And it's funny because usually when we talk about being compassionate um, when children are acting out, it's kind of like, well, you're just letting them off the hook. Um, they're going to be mm -hmm. out of control. And it's like, hmm, okay, so let's look at the classrooms that aren't using this and how can out of control they, the, those are. I mean, you know, yeah. so again, we, we fear the out of, they're going to be out of control and we are creating more of what we fear. Yeah. And I think, you know, like I said, it's always this all or nothing mentality. It's very this way or that way. You're not saying like, when I let kids feel their emotions, we don't actually do the work afterwards. No, like I let them actually feel their emotions and then we move forward. Mm -hmm. right. It's not because, right. because that, I mean, there was a kid in our class growing up, he would run out of the room and like slam the door, like coming in and out of the classroom. Cause he was so upset and scream at the top of his lungs. And it was almost like the teachers would numb out because they didn't even know what to do. And they're like, everyone just ignore him. Just ignore him. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah. What's happening with that is what is happening inside of him. What is happening inside the brain? Um, yeah. And so, yeah. It, but there's so much judgment. Um, you know, our, our, our traditional discipline is founded in judgment. Um, and in that fear uh, piece. And because there's so much judgment, 
you know, teachers fear children who are acting out because then if they're acting out in their classroom, it means I'm not a good teacher. Parents fear their children acting out because if they're acting out, then I'm not a good parent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we take it so personally. And when we take it personally, it becomes about us. And now I've got to control them. And they, again, then they don't learn self-control and self-discipline. Yeah. So in a relationship-based practices, discipline isn't something we do to children. It's something we build within them. But we also have to build it within us too. We have to learn new skills as the adults um, to teach these new skills to children. Um, so successful. you led me right into the next question um, because this was the meat and potatoes of what I told you we were gonna talk about is I wanted to know about <laughs> Diane and her journey a little bit. Um, which parenting always fascinates me. And a lot of my listeners are moms. So that first part of this segment will be so helpful and we'll link your information at the end of this. But when it came down to you trusting yourself to do this a different way, what was the resistance that came up and how did other people, like, what were some of the things that people even said to you, maybe like the judgment piece? Um, yeah, I didn't trust myself. <laughs> uh, and through this work, I've started learning to trust myself. And, and that's, you know, these are the things that we want children to grow up with that really traditionally, um, unknowingly are stripped away from us. Um, so the trusting ourselves. uh, you know, we get messages as young children not to trust yourself. So like through, um, you know, we're upset about something. And I just had a parent tell me today, um, her child was upset about the clothes that they were choosing or not choosing to wear. And she was like, okay, I'll be about the clothes. That's such a trivial thing. Uh, but to a child, that is a big thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I forgot where I was going with that now. <laughs> <laughs> was it looping back to you learning to trust yourself? Like as far yeah. as like when you started oh, yeah. to yeah. parent different right. or teach different in your class, like you had right. to have come so, up against people judging you. Yeah. So traditionally, you know, we, um, we kind of, we are upset about something and then our parents say, that's not that big a deal. You don't need to be upset about that. So, I mean, just those little things, that's where we start not to trust ourselves. that, oh, I shouldn't be upset about this. Oh, this isn't a big deal. Um, and so through that growing up, we, we begin not to trust ourselves. And um, I just was at the point where I knew what I was doing with my own children and with the children in the classroom was not helpful. It was we were not gaining anything. Um, and so I just knew some, I just knew it within me. There was a knowing. Mm -hmm. And I think we could say that was my intuition, which, you know, I had never learned to listen to my own self. But at that point, I had this inner knowing that this was the path I needed to take. And it was because it was the thing I needed to learn the most. It has healed 
so many relationships in my life and the relationship I have with myself. And so I think what you're asking is how did I take the leap then to go from my traditional job to now this untraditional job? Yeah, because I know Um, there had to have been like, I mean, for instance, like you had to tell people in your life you were doing this thing. Yeah. What was the reaction? It was really scary. Their reaction was like, oh, oh, cool. How, what now? What are you doing? (laughs) You know, and they, they just, it was kind of blowing their mind. Like, you know, who does that? Um, but, um, well, sorry. What did you ask again? You're fine. Um, that was what I asked you. Like, what was the reaction you got from other people when you decided to quit basically your nine to five in a way you're, you're safe, like quote unquote safe yeah. job to yeah. pursue, um, entrepreneurship really. It was a lot different than what I thought in my head, in my stories, I thought they were just going to be like, you can't do that. Who are you? You know, that was my story. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, wow, that's really brave. you have so much courage. And, you know, I'm like, oh, so it was a much different than, than what I was telling myself in my head. Cause you were kind of telling yourself, no one in my family is going to support that. Right. I'm going to have to overcome this hurdle on top of building a business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of like, am I crazy? And yet I had this knowing again, again, there was this yeah. knowing that I needed to do something different, that, that I needed to take this path. Um, but my head was questioning, kept questioning, I, you know, who are you to do this? Why are you doing this? You know, just all of those stories, because it wasn't my pattern, right? It was a different pattern. And so your brain goes crazy and says, you're going to die when you disrupt the pattern. So did you have to like use the tools that you taught other parents and children? Absolutely. On yourself? Absolutely. Yes. What was, if you don't mind me asking, and hopefully I can ask this in a way that's answerable. Since this is my first interview, I'm going to give myself the grace to let it be messy. What was the biggest aha of like you realizing, um, what was like the underlying story? Because we all have an underlying story that's pretty consistent. Oh, I'm of not limiting. You're not good enough. Yeah, that's that was a huge one for me. And and really, I call that the collective wound because I've come to learn that most everybody I talk to has that um, sense uh, in some form or another. Yeah, it's like. Um, I don't know if you've read the big leap, um, that book, but it's fundamentally, I think how he phrases it in that book is fundamentally flawed. It's one of the four, um, limiting beliefs or whatever he calls it. But I, I resonate with that one too. It's like fundamentally flawed. Like you see everyone else around you, like gaining ground and you started this thing and everyone is, cause that was, your story is very similar to mine and everyone actually kind of supported me in a way. And then it got thrown back on my plate because it was actually my insecurities and my feelings of not being enough 
that were really coming up into play, but I was like vomiting it all over everyone else saying like, you don't support me. Like you don't Mm. think I'm good enough, (laughs) but it was really that voice that I, I have thought that my whole life. And there's so many instances where looking back, I'm like, I can clearly see that it was the lenses a lens that I was looking through at that period of time because of what was maybe culturally going on or in my family, I can look back and say, Hmm, I can see how 12 year old Melissa thought that, but it's not true. Right. So how do you like flip that to now as an adult woman being in the spot you are, but being able to have like new glasses and see where you are now? I feel that's very difficult. Well, I, you know, I'm, again, I'm the student of my own work and that's how I am getting through that. And I know that's why this came to me because this is my work. Um, and so it's going from shifting. It's my work is all these shifts going from a traditional discipline to a more conscious approach. And it's shifting from judgment to acceptance. Um, And we get this wound because of, you know, we're bathed in judgment from early childhood uh, in society, Um, you know, from, from young children, you know, you're a good child or you're a bad child, you know, we're judged um, all the time. Yeah, because that's how it has always been relayed. And that's also like a way of guiding your child too, is like, this is correct. This is not correct. But then teaching a kid, um, the emotional component of it is so hard because it's like in their mind, they're learning what's good and what's bad, like always as a child. And you're like, okay, but that's like, um, what is it called? It context matters. (laughs) So, and that's some of the, the things that, um, I teach, uh, parents too, is how to take the judgment out of teaching children. Um, and so like, for example, um, rather than seeing behavior as it's good or it's bad, it's helpful or it's hurtful because good or bad is our judgment of it. Yeah. And helpful and hurtful is a fact. It is either helpful and how is it helpful or it's hurtful. How is it hurtful? Anything that's not helpful is hurtful. And so there are components of it to shift um, in our relationship with our children so that we're not putting judgment on them. Um, and, you know, some of the things are very subtle things, but when we become aware of it, we go, oh. So oh. is there actual thing like, and this is just me being curious, because I don't, I guess, like, as far as words go, like, what is it about the word good and bad that is so ingrained or triggering or why we shouldn't use them? Because, so it's kind of like the world is divided into. Okay, on Mm -hmm. this side, you have good. The other side, you have bad. You have right, you have wrong. You have win, you have lose. You have deserving, you have undeserving. You have better than, you have less than. All of these are connected. All of these are connected. So if, for example, like for me, um, I just always felt like if I'm wrong, you know, like we're always, there's this fear of 
being right. Like, is this the right way? Like, am I doing it right? Is this the way everybody else is doing it? Is this, you know? And so being wrong feels like not that I made a mistake or it, it's like my being is okay. wrong. Like it's all connected. Now I'm over here in this bad and undeserving and less than. So like what you did was not a good choice or wrong in a sense, not you, like you are a perfect little human being and we're human, we, yeah, but, but that's, that's not how we see it as kids. It. It, okay. We connect them together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like, you know, you, you know, in traditional system, uh, some kids are, you know, they do, they, they're, they're using misbehavior. And so typically that is punished. And you, a lot of times their same children are being punished over and over and over and over, and over again. Right. Mm -hmm. Because we're actually punishing them for skills they don't have. Okay. So would, would it be safe to say that a lot of it is like the context of the words and relaying to our kids more so that, you know, you are separate of your actions, like in a sense, like you have to be responsible for your actions, but like, you are not a bad kid because you did this. It was what your choice right. that made it bad. Right. And those don't come through so much in words, but in action, in feeling. Okay. In so feeling. like when you are, let's say you flew off the handle at your kid and mm -hmm. you're like, aren't you? Okay. Let's just use like spilling the milk. For example, when you're like, I'm going to use Susie, um, little Susie, you keep spilling the milk. What are you? Are you a baby? Like you did this last week. Yeah, um, so that's diminishing. Okay. That is diminishing. That is not about behavior. That child is internalizing. Oh my God. You know, I'm a baby. You know, our outer talk becomes their inner talk. So when you are saying, are you a baby? Their inner talk is I'm a baby. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. Cause I heard, I like, I was using that example because, um, I heard that recently and I just noticed it and I was like, observing. I was like, well, everyone, even I spill the milk. Sometimes I was sitting there thinking that in my head. And I was like, I spill the milk sometimes. Like, I know I'm not a baby because I'm an adult, yeah. but like to her, I was like, hmm. and so that's the difference between, um, a conscious approach to discipline and traditional discipline is that we just react. We yeah. just do stuff we don't even know we're doing. We just react to stuff all day long and not even realizing it. Or conscious approach, we really see our own impact, how our responses impact our child. Yeah, um, and because so I used to, like that example I just gave you, I have done that in the past, to be honest. We all have. We all yeah, have. all of us have, right? And yeah. then once I started working with you, like me and my husband were like, just like the block situation, block situation. I was like, but is it solving the problem of the milk needing to be picked up now? It's inevitable accidents are going to happen. What do I teach my kid to do after the milk is spilled? And right. now, like it took a lot of it took a lot of like breathing and like yeah. pausing to let me still be angry, but not speak that way. 
you can like, feel angry. Oh but my gosh. Be angry. Being yeah. angry. There's a difference between being a feeling and feeling a feeling. Being it, we act it out and we're all crazy and we're projecting it out onto other people. Okay. Feeling it, we're able to, then it's about us. This is how I feel. This is nothing to do with you. This is how I feel. Yeah. And I will regulate that. You can, because when you feel it, there's now Melissa. Melissa, I, Melissa, feel angry. Now I, Melissa, can manage my anger. If I am angry, yeah hurtful so it's like separating like taking back control of your emotions and not shoving them down but saying like it's okay for me to feel anger however how i go forward with the words i choose with my children is very very important from here after the milk got spilt so like with that being said like it's kind of like a known thing in our household that milk's probably going to get spilt like at least once a week to be honest. And now my kids, like they just, they know where the towels are. Cause we walked them over to see where they were and we're like, okay, go get a towel, clean it up. It happens, you know? Um, and sometimes you're a little bit more frustrated than other times because you, they were goofing off when you told them not to, but <laughs> now when the milk gets spilled, like all the kids jump up to go get a towel. <laughs> yeah. So what you taught them was mistakes are inevitable and are and it's solvable. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, we learn that mis don't make a mistake because then you're going to be over in this column of bad and undeserving. And so you know, is that where perfectionism comes from? Because absolutely, I have, I have so many women come to me and say, I'm a perfectionist. I know that's like me trying to perfectionize this. So as Perfect. women who have learned that, maybe we have kids, maybe we don't. How do we reverse that? Well, for one, I want to say perfectionism is about not, is the fear of being in that other lane, that bad and undeserving and inadequate. Um, oh, I think that one is probably hits the nail on the head, the inadequate yeah, to solve a problem. Right. And that's why sometimes we get so crazy with our kids is because if they act out, I'm inadequate. Ooh, that is huge. So, you know, again, we just learned that um, not to make children's behavior about us. But anyway, perfectionism, yes. Perfectionism is all about I'm not good enough. I mean, that's that's yeah. the key. That's perfectionism is um, what's Brene Brown say? She says perfectionism is the ultimate betrayal of self. Ooh. Yeah, not, because not allowing your true self to be seen. I would agree with that. We learn at a young age, like we were talking about um, becoming who you think you should be or you're supposed to be to gain acceptance and belonging. That's mm -hmm. what perfectionism is about. I need to be always good, always right, always over here. In control. Control is, yeah, it's all about fear of messing up, fear of not being good enough. Yeah. So, okay. So we're going to wrap it up, but okay, Diane, I, I'm sure this is like a taboo all over, but we're going to break the pattern here. <laughs> How old are you? Oh, I am 58. Okay. And how old were you when you started your business? 
57. What, if you could give women one piece of advice on um, not being enough, what would you say to someone who really wants to step out to do something who is maybe old, like, I don't want to say old because I don't feel like anyone is actually old. Like I love aging, <laughs> like it's part of my job, okay, but so what would you say to that woman who feels like they're too old to do, to change? They're too old to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're never too old. It's never too late. And I'm testament to that. Um, you know, it's funny because I, when I came into the whole self-development realm, um, you know, I was in my 40s. Um, and the first time I went to a retreat after hiring a coach and going to a retreat, it didn't dawn on me that I was too old to be doing self-development until I got there. And then all of these women were like a generation younger. And I'm, and then I, my story was, oh, I'm supposed to already have this all figured out at my age. <laughs> and then as time went on, I realized that, no, it's not that it's, it's, um, most women my age, um, just, kind of think, well, this is me and, you know, who's, I'm not going to change now. Um, and so when I was younger, um, more in your generation, Melissa, you know, this wasn't, self-development was not a subject who anybody ever talked about. I mean, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't, I don't ever remember hearing about it um, or having a coach or, you know, any of this was not, just in our world and in, yeah. So when it did come into my world, man, I, I grabbed it and held on and I've never let go. And it is never too late. Um, it's amazing at, you know, I, I think we don't ever age on the inside and what I found was feeling like I was starting to die on the inside. And so doing this work has brought me back to life. Oh, I love that. And that is such a true statement because I never looked at it as that, as you know, this, I mean, I know I have a lot of my friends are older than me a lot. I mean, frick like great grandma Cheryl is one of my best friends and she's 90 but she still has her soul and that's what I love about yeah. her it's it's not you know I'm not superficial and I don't think a lot of people are actually and that's really something to hold on to is when you start feeling your soul die that's yeah. a wake-up call to say hey like I have a lot of life left in me what can I do and I mean your story I mean I've oxered you um, a few months ago. And I said, Hey, Diane, like, I just wanted to tell you, thank you so much for showing up for your dreams and goals. And here I'm going to cry again, because <laughs> as a woman younger than you, it's really important for me personally to see women older than me stepping out of their box, their comfort zone to do something big 
and to help other women and say, Hey, I'm doing this new thing. I'm leaving safety behind and I'm jumping off and I'm flying because we don't see that much in your generation. Like someone's starting something new at your age. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And it has been really wonderful for my own children um, and my own daughters to see me stepping out of my comfort zone, out from hiding, out from the fear of other people's judgment. It's, and now I'm going to (laughs) cry, but it's really giving them permission to step out as well. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. I think that is an amazing place to end, but before we go, I want people to know where to find you. Yeah. So you can follow me. Well, I'm, I'll give you my website, um, Diane or yeah, Diane Sorensen.net. Um, I'm kind of, I'm on Instagram, but right now I'm, um, doing a lot of things on the backside and I'm actually going to be shifting my, um, Instagram. So, um, I'm kind of in the transition period of that. Now, um, right are you now, actually right now though, it is Diane underscore Sorensen underscore, and it will give you where to go from there. Where do you hang out mostly socially, I guess too? Well, like, um, is it podcast still oh. too? Yes. Thank you, Melissa. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, social and social. Um, and I always, I have the story in my head about, well, it's my age. And so, you know, I didn't grow up as social. And so that is a real curve for me, um, but you know, it's getting there, but yes, I do have a podcast beauty in behavior um, is the podcast. Yes. I can't wait for you to start your TikTok because you'll be <laughs> TikTok famous at your age. Oh <laughs> yeah. So always a new adventure, right? Okay. <laughs> right. Well, Um, I think, okay. So you guys go follow Diane, do me a favor, follow her, go listen to her podcast, give it a review and just show her your support. Um, let us know what you got from this episode, because it's truly amazing being able to support women in other generations. And I found it so beneficial to learn from women two steps ahead of me, whether it be in business, even in being on this earth and even women two steps behind me. Won't you pull me another? I'm going in. So wish me good luck. And you will probably Yeah, gotta put on my favorite song. I need a boost. Let's turn up the love. No, it is way too late, but I just can't get my eyes over you.